chromosomes. Little strands of nucleic acids and proteins are the fundamental genetic instructions that tell us who we are at birth. Most people are born with 46 chromosomes, but each year in the United States, about 6,000 people are born with an extra chromosome, making them a person with Down syndrome. If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word. I have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and mother to Allie, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I am thrilled to have Jose Zilstra on the show today. Jose is the CEO of Genderfair, a platform that uses data analytics to determine an organization's progress toward gender equality and diversity. Well, Jose, I am so excited about this because you and I have different moms, but I say we're sisters. We spent so much time together. You and I met through CEO Forum. And you've been in CEO Forum for a long time, almost 20 years, right? Yeah, and there's a whole story behind that. When I came into CEO Forum, I started in the Spiritual Leadership Institute, and you were my mentor. So I was thinking about that this morning. For three years, Jose, you gave up your time to spend an hour with me every month for three years. Do you know what? It was such a pleasure. And I know we tried as best as we could in our busy calendars to meet once a month for those three years. But honestly, I look back on that time as how much you mentored me through that, you know, as much as I mentored you in different ways, right? Because we don't have everything that we can give to someone else. I think there's such a sharing of knowledge and experience and thoughts. It was really a mutual mentorship. Right. Well, I appreciate you saying that, but I know you had a big impact on me and we all need one another. We were never meant to do things in isolation. And so it just underscores that importance of having people in your life that you can link arms with. And that was probably what at least three years ago, Jose, or four years ago, that kind of the official mentoring stopped. But I know at any given time, if I had a question or if I needed something, and I have leaned into you, I know I can call you. And we just developed such a great relationship with that uh, three-year period, and and it continues today. So I'm just so excited about this. I'm going to take it back. And I know you did not grow up in the States. You grew up in the Netherlands. Let's talk about a little bit of how you grew up and education journey, and then we'll get into career and a lot of other things. As you mentioned, I grew up in the Netherlands and had a wonderful extended family there. When I was about nine years old, my parents wanted to take a vacation. They loved to vacation and travel. So we traveled to Canada and we did a cross-country trip. And my parents absolutely fell in love with that country. 
came back to the small country of the Netherlands and said, you know what, Canada is such a better country to raise children in. Like there's open space and there's nature and people were so beautiful and friendly. And, you know, they started thinking, you know, that maybe there's an opportunity. And my parents were quite young, but over the next couple of years, they made it happen. And we immigrated when I was 12 years old to Calgary which is a beautiful city an hour away from the Rocky Mountains. And, you know, they were probably right in that we had an amazing youth there, you know, through my teenage years, you know, went to a great school with a lot of outdoor activities. And it really helped me appreciate more of nature and just being outside. I mean, obviously the winters are very cold, but we became good skiers and just really enjoyed life there. And then after I graduated from high school, I moved across country to Ontario to go to a school there. And that began my educational journey post-grad and undergrad in sociology and then an, an MBA. And then I was ready for my next adventure because I thought, you know, Calgary is now too small for me. You know, I need to go. And, and I did this kind of a similar thing as I went on vacation with uh, some friends to New York City. And I thought, wow, this is an amazing city. I have to move here. And that began a journey of, you know, working with uh, a consulting house. And, you know, I've been here ever since. I didn't think I'd stay here as long as I have. You know, this has been a long time now. But, you know, I think once you get kind of settled into your career and then marriage and family, it's really hard, you know, as my parents did, it's, you know, I find it harder now to make that move. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. So let's talk about your career. So as you said, you started at Cooper's. Price Waterhouse. Price Waterhouse, yeah. Price Waterhouse as a strategic consultant. Yes. And you were there for what? Eight years. But you know, I loved the consulting business and I thought it was a good career choice. I didn't know what I wanted to do, to be honest with you, but it was a great opportunity to kind of look inside of different organizations. And also I traveled a lot. So I was single. I didn't just live in New York. You know, as soon as I moved to New York, my first assignment was in Indonesia. <laughs> you know, and I love New York. And I'm like, well, I, I moved to New York to live in New York. And they're like, no, we have a really important assignment in Indonesia. So I did that. And then I came back to New York and they're like, oh, well, now that you have Asian experience, I'm going to send you to China for a year. <laughs> so here I am again. I'm writing my post-dated checks to my landlord, you know, in a great little, little apartment. And, you know, I was again in Asia and a lot of people would say, well, why would you want to go to China? And I would ask them, I said, well, have you been to China? And they're like, no, you know, why not? Right. It was such an eye-opening experience because it was a, a lot different than China is right now. You just didn't have cars on the road in Beijing. Uh, you know, the culture was so different and I just learned so much. And, and I think, you know, when you, you're abroad like that, you're given a lot more responsibility than perhaps you would if, you know, it stayed in New York. And after just over a year of that, I came back and again, I worked across, you know, to different cities. I lived in Europe as well, in France. And then I did a stint in uh, San Francisco, which is a great city. I was there for a year and a half and then Atlanta. So I really spent the good part of the eight years while my home was in New York City. I was really on the road for most of it, you know, and I enjoyed it. But, I, you know, after eight years, you really do get a little bit tired of the 
But yeah, I always say that to young people. If you have the opportunity to do that with a consulting firm, do it. I mean, because you got so much experience, didn't you, Yogi? Yeah. What a rich experience to start out with. But at some point, you made the jump and you went over to J.P. Morgan. Yes. And you were there for about six years. But you took all of that knowledge. And eventually, I think you were put on the team when they were doing the merger in the integration with Chase. Yes. You were right. on that team. What another amazing experience that I'm sure you learned a ton. JP Morgan was a whole different industry. I was still doing a little bit of internal consulting, so helping leaders execute on their strategies. And then when the merger hit, none of them had even been through a merger before. On the Chase side, they had, but not the JP Morgan side. So there was a lot of nervousness around it. And, you know, I always helped them focus on the people and the culture rather than just the financials. And I think that's how mergers, you know, succeed or fail. It's do you just focus on the financial performance or are you really looking at what's underneath? You know, people call the softer, but it's really the harder side. It's really getting people and culture on board to make that that's a success. So that was really a great experience. And to your point, when those fail, oftentimes it's because, you know, they didn't do enough work to align the cultures. Isn't that right? Okay. That's right. That's right. Wow. Well, just what an awesome experience that you had there. You know, this was probably about the time that you and David got married and then fast forward, then you have these three little boys, just a lot of things. And I know, Jose, you're spinning a lot of plates. And I always say, you know, I always look for the one that was wobbling the most. (laughs) You may have to go over there and get that one stable. And, you know, but I know that we have a lot of women listeners. I'd love to hear your advice to women that are juggling a lot of different things. Well, first of all, there is no such thing as balance. Uh, And as you said, you have to look for the wobbly plate or you have to prioritize your time in the best way you can. But I always looked at looking at what are the non-essentials, right? So... Do I want to spend the time after work with my kids or cleaning the house? Do I want to spend the weekends doing laundry and cleaning the house? And, you know, we were fortunate enough that we brought in a nanny to live with us to save on some of the money, but to have someone there, you know, because there's always things that a child gets sick or, you know, if they're not in school or there's, there's always things that come up and just to have someone in your home. And, you know, when they got older, we had au pairs. And au pairs is a great program because it's not that expensive, but there's someone there that can help, you know, with the dinner, with the laundry, with the homework and driving. Driving is a big thing, right? Because you're driving, you know, nonstop with all these different sports. And moms tend to feel guilty because you think, oh, well, I have to do the pickup. You know, guilt is an unfair emotion, you know? And I think if you can find, and it doesn't have to be paid help, but if you could maybe share that with another family. Uh, One of the things, you know, that was important when the kids were young was date night. And we had neighbors across the street. And at the time, you know, we we didn't want to spend a lot of money just to go out for dinner. So our neighbors, we would switch homes. So we would say, okay, you come over and babysit our kids with your kids. And then one of the parents would go and put the kids to bed. And the other one would stay until we come for one weekend. And we'd switch off and on on weekends. So we saved on babysitting costs, for example. You know, and there's always these little tricks that you can do to, you know, to help cost, you know, things that you can do. The one thing, you know, with three boys is laundry. I did have a lady come in when uh, we didn't have a nanny anymore just to do laundry. And sometimes you think, well, why am I spending this kind of money on someone to do? And it wasn't expensive. I think it was like $15 an hour, but it would take her all day, you know, to do laundry. And I thought to myself, well, 
you know, sometimes you have to prioritize. Maybe you get something else up because uh, laundry seems to be just one of those things that is such a time ending and never (laughs) ending. And I'm like, just for someone to do that, I would happily give up going to uh, out for dinner or do something to compensate for that. So you have to, like I said, you know, prioritize. Sure. I understand that. Well, the point is sometimes you need help. I mean, it's okay to ask for help. And so that is what I want women to take away. Jose, I know that some people may be looking at you and they may be saying, oh my goodness, this woman has had this amazing career. She's got this beautiful family, just such a charmed life. But I mean, I know you and I know that it's not all unicorns and rainbows. (laughs) Are there some times in your life where there were some major obstacles or things didn't quite go the way that you maybe had planned. And how do you make it through that? Yes. Well, looks can be deceiving. And there have always been struggles along the way. I think one of the darkest periods of my career in life was 9-11. Until that point, I really had a great career. I mean, I worked hard. You know, I worked 15, 16 hour days. You know, that career doesn't come easily. But I, I remember just being very blessed thinking, you know, I'm, I've made it to a certain level and And then, you know, when I was in a taxi on my way to work and I saw the first plane hit, I thought, well, that's strange. Somebody got lost and hit a building, right? You don't know. And the taxi driver stopped and says, you get out, get out, get out. I'm like, what's going on? So I I walk to work and I look up and I see this massive second plane hit the second tower. And at that point, my perspective kind of shattered a little bit. And I remember people around me saying, terrorists, terrorists, terrorists. So some people knew, you know, and I, I still thought, you know, this is an accident until things started revealing itself. And I remember just feeling very lonely at that time. My, my family is still in Canada. I was in New York. I was in my, you know, little apartment. The first thing that came to mind was like, I'm running back to Canada. You just want to run away. I, I will leave everything. I will leave my job. I will leave my apartment. I will leave everything. I just was so fearful you know, I felt that for a while. And you had mentioned the CEO forum and they had actually reached out to me a couple of months prior to 9-11. And the leader of this, Mac, who you know, first of all, he prayed with me and he said, everything's going to be okay. God is bigger than this. And he's just a real wonderful kind of spiritual advisor for me. And then he said, I want you to come to Chicago uh, the next month. We're having a CEO forum dinner and I need you to come. And I said, I'm not getting on a plane. So I called my family. I called my friends. I'm like, this guy, I barely know, but he's reached out to me. And, you know, he says, I have to come to Chicago. It was in October. And as soon as planes were flying again, and to come to the CEO forum dinner, and that I have to go. And I'm like, this is crazy. And they're like, go. They all said go. So it was the following month. Planes were flying. I went to Chicago. I didn't know, you know, anybody at the dinner. And these people were the most amazing people. I was the only female and they reached out. They were just amazing faith-based people. They cared for me and prayed for me. And sure enough, one of the guys at the tables that turns to me and goes, are you dating anyone? And I'm like, me, no. And I'm like, you know, thinking like, no, I'm, I'm coming here for spiritual support. And he, go, and he goes, oh no, not for me. I just know somebody that you might like. And I'm like, well, here's my card, but I'm not really interested. So that was on like a Tuesday in Chicago. On a Wednesday, I went back to New York. And the following day, I remember going to the opera with some friends in New York. 
and in their mission, they said, you know, I'm, we met a guy recently I think you'd really like. He lives in uh, Virginia. He's young. He may be a little younger, but he's wonderful guy. We really like him. We met him. I think you should meet him. And lo and behold, it was the same guy. So I was like, well, I have to start listening to some of these voices. And, uh, and sure enough, 11 months later, we were married and you know, packed it up and, and moved out of the city and, and had three boys, like I, said. Yeah, like I said. Oh, my goodness. So we've got so much more to talk about, Jose, so much more. But we need to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Jose Zilstra. Are you a rising IT leader? Could you benefit from a network of like-minded peers? Let me introduce you to the St. Louis Technology Leadership Experience. This one-of-a-kind program gathers cohorts of IT professionals for three workshops, peer small group problem solving, one-on-one mentoring by IT executives, and multiple networking events. You will be prepared for your next steps as an IT leader by gaining core leadership competencies and a strong, powerful network of peers. To apply for our next TechLX cohort, visit tpi.co slash TLX. So, Jose, I know that you wrote an article called Reimagining a Better Future for All. And this article really highlights how important diversity and inclusion are in the workplace. In fact, you know, there's a couple of things that you say. Companies that practice with honesty and integrity in the goal of diversity and inclusion will bounce back quicker than those that don't. And they're going to fare better in the long term. In fact, you even have data here, research from great places to work, that showed that publicly traded companies with inclusive workplaces flourished before, during, and after the 2008 recession. And so I know you've done so much work in this area, and it's always been important. You've worked with women forever on women empowerment type programs and things like that. But tell our listeners a little bit more about that. Yes. And thank you for referencing that article. And the real point was that I think those companies who recognized how important people were to their organization and that they have to bring their authentic selves to their jobs, their whole selves to their jobs. I think those companies, you know, had built that trust relationship with their employees. And those companies who had not invested in that, the care of their employees are, you know, behind the ball when it comes to being able to bounce back and be able to keep their operations going as easily, you know, as some who had built that trust and relationship with their employees. I think 2020 was such a shock for many and still is very hard for employees. But I think being able to recognize, you know, employees' needs, where they are and respond appropriately. We saw a lot of companies, you know, especially after George Floyd, you know, when you look at their website, it used to be very white and male. And then all of a sudden after George Floyd, you see the, you know, the website all of a sudden be diverse, you know? So But when you go behind, you know, and look at their leadership, it's still the same, you know, as it was before. It was a bit of window dressing, I have to say. And, you know, not all the companies needed to do that because they were already there. They were already diverse, both internal and externally. Investing in people and those companies that have been doing that for many years or able to ride this challenging time a little easier than those who hadn't. Well, okay. So that brings me to something I am super excited about and what you're doing today, which I know you've been working on this for about three or four years, Jose. It's not just something that you thought about yesterday and voila, here it is today. I mean, you've been preparing, you've been 
gathering the research. What you're doing today, you're the CEO and you're the founder of Gender Fair. And I am so excited about this. I'd love for you to tell our listeners more about Gender Fair. Gender Fair in its simplest form is like fair trade, but for women. When you look at companies who pledge, make a lot of pledges, you know, they continue to make pledges. One of the pledges that was made years ago was to the UN Women's Empowerment Principles, we call the WEPs. And these were just guiding principles of creating a safe place to work, having equal balance of genders in leadership, providing good benefits for their employees. So those type of things were guiding principles, but there was no way to measure a company as to their progress, even if they're making any progress on it. So we created these metrics around those guiding principles, and there's 18 metrics and five pillars. So we look at companies' leadership, both on the board, as well as the executive leadership and through management, and if they have leadership development for women. We look at employee policies, whether it's maternity and paternity leave, because paternity leave is almost more important than maternity leave and other policies from work-life balance and sexual harassment program in place, you know, in the Me Too movement, that was really important, as well as if they've done a pay equity assessment to make sure that there is not any kind of discrimination. And then we look at uh, advertising, and I think this is a really important one because, you know, you want advertising to be inclusive and break some of those stereotypes because if you can't see it, you know, you can't be it. And there were a lot of advertising out there that I think they objectify Also, there's advertising or imagery that have been made over so much that they don't look real anymore. We assess that. And then we look at if a company provides diversity reporting and makes that public. Even if a company is not great on diversity, but just reporting it is a step in the right direction, right? Because then there's transparency, right? And accountability. And you get credit for that. And lastly, we look at if a company helps invest in the community of women and girls, whether it's through STEM education, because we know how important that is. Companies, you know, through their CSR programs are doing a lot more in the community so that, uh, you know, women in diverse populations are are thriving. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I have told you that certification process, because I know we're certified in certain areas and it's a rigorous process that you go through. I will tell you this, when you go through those processes, it certainly does highlight your gaps. Yes. You know, so even if you still got work to do, at least you're measuring it. And one of the things I know that you've said is that we as consumers, we have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. $5 trillion a year power. So women make a lot of the purchases, right? So we as consumers, we have a lot of power to make sure it's not just, like you said, a little window dressing. That's right. That's right. So tell me about this app, because I was going to ask you about technology and how technology's influenced CNI. Tell me about this app and, you know, how people can get involved in that. So I don't have a technology background, but I am a consumer. And I want to make it easy for consumers to shop their values. So if this is something that's important to a consumer, whether it's gender and diversity, or whether it's animal rights, or whether it's sustainability... Well, this is one way for those who care about gender and diversity to have this information at their fingertips. We had an app before the one that we just launched last December. The one before was very informational. It was very good. Melinda Gates wrote all about it in HBR. But I didn't think was very consumer friendly. So what we created, and we spent the the better most of uh, 2020 doing this, is to allow for a scanning technology. So you can scan a logo 
because not every product has a barcode. So we said, well, well, let's go with the logo. Every company has a logo. We started with all the publicly traded consumer-facing companies. There's over 700 companies and 2,500 brands. And you have to map brands to companies because you probably don't shop Unilever, you don't shop Procter & Gamble, or you shop Dove or Ivino or Colgate. So you have to map all the brands to the companies because we only assess companies. So now you're able to scan a product and you get a score. And we rate companies on those five pillars on a 100-point scale. Any company that has 70 or more is gender fair. Now, a company that scores 71 versus a company that scores 91 is obviously a big difference. So we don't want to just say, oh, you're gender fair and that's the end of it. You know, there's a long way to go because you get credit even if you have 20% of women on the board. So we, we want to reward companies who are doing well. But we also, on the flip side, want to incentivize companies to do better because sometimes there's not enough market pressure for companies to really make those changes that they need to do. Sometimes it's easier to throw a very empowering ad out there, like you see in the Super Bowl. But if you're not walking the walk internally, then, you know, we kind of call you out on that. And, you know, there's always room to improve. Jose, I've told you, I feel like you're really on to something here. So to change those behaviors and uh, it's going to be better for everyone to your article that you wrote, Reimagining a Better Future for All. And I think that's so important. So this is something extra. What do you believe, Yosei, is a something extra that every leader needs? I think every leader needs empathy right now. You know, studies show that 70% of people, employees, uh, have imposter syndrome. So they go to work and they feel unqualified. And I did, you know, throughout my career. I'm like not qualified for that role or, you know, unsure of themselves and their capabilities. And right now, there's a lot of angst and anxiety that's going on. And especially women and parents, you know, in general have to balance so much around care and schooling, work, and they don't often want to project that, you know, to their boss or, you know, anyone in their colleagues. So I think a leader, what they can do is be authentic and say, well, as a leader, I also have imposter syndrome. As a leader, I also have anxiety and worry about tomorrow. And to be able to relate to people on that level, you know, as you said before, listening is important, you know, but I think that the whole idea of empathy, and it was important years ago, but it's even more important now. Could not agree more. So, Jose, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about and how our listeners, if they're interested, how they can get involved. You know, as we talked about gender fair, of course, that's my passion right now. I've, I've always been very passionate about developing women and developing underrepresented groups. I think that's the future we need to invest in, especially our Black population who is not always paid the same as uh, their white counterparts and uh, have certain struggles that we just don't have. And I think we need to make sure companies create the pipeline for underrepresented groups to get into managerial jobs, are developed and become the future leaders because the world is changing, right? And just to plug gender fair, I just think, you know, the more people that download the app, use it, and then encourage companies to do better. I think we're not going to go back. We want to go forward and we want to make a world where everybody feels like they belong. Yes. And a rising tide lifts all boats. We can all make a difference in changing this narrative. So I just love that. So Jose, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for making the time to be on the show. And I'm sure we'll be talking soon. I know we will. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to today's show. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc., 2019. For show notes or to reach Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.